Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to uh, open up the word with you this morning, and may the Lord add his blessing to it. Our passage this morning will be John chapter 15, the first 11 verses, where Jesus speaks of the vine and the branches. I'm sure in many ways a familiar passage, but I find it's one of those passages that you can never fully get to the bottom of. Uh, It's just so rich. And I know I won't be even, I'm not even going to try to cover every single point that could be made about this text, but I hope to bring out the main thrust of it. So please give your attention to God's word then from John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Please pray with me now. We do thank you, Lord, for the wonderful richness of your word, and I pray now that you would be our teacher, teaching us to prize our union with Christ and to value and live out communion with him. Help me to speak your word clearly, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Bible often speaks to us in metaphors, um, word pictures that are very vivid, There's a lot of poetry in the Bible, and certainly this passage is almost poetic. It's certainly a rich metaphor. I am the vine, you are the branches. I do know that some Christians have a hard time wrapping their heads around metaphor. They'd rather just have it straightforward, as they say. Uh, I remember two men in my congregation in Connecticut, whenever I talk about metaphors in the Bible and preach on a poetic passage, they'd sort of shake my hand at the door and they'd grumble and say, ah, we don't like this poetry stuff. You didn't realize how hard it was to be a pastor, did you? You need to, you need to uh, understand that. Um, but I hope we won't be like that. I hope we'll say that even these metaphors have divine authority. They're God's chosen way of speaking, and it's really important that we submit to and surrender to what God is saying here, that I am the vine and you are the branches. And really, I think the main point in this passage and the main point of the sermon is that what shapes the Christian life, what the Christian life really is all about, is about union and communion 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like you to see that this morning in three points. First of all, I want to speak of the gift of union with Christ. And then I want to talk about the life of communion with Christ. And then I want to talk about the fruit of union and communion with Christ. So first, the gift of union with Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ is saying. Christians are united to Christ by grace through faith. The apostles often pick up on this vine and branches union language, use slightly different words. But, for example, in Romans 6, uh, verse 24, the apostle says that we are, uh, verse 5 rather, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You hear the language of union. We are united to Christ in his death and his resurrection. In chapter 7, verse 4, the apostle says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Notice the belonging language, the union language, that you may belong to him. And, and, and what he's unpacking in that particular paragraph is marriage. And he's saying that in, in, in true spiritual language, we have been married to Christ in union and communion with him. We belong to him. Jesus, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he is describing a work that he has done. And it's another way of what we see in the Bible from, from the beginning to the end, is that salvation is by grace through faith. Union with Christ is not something you and I bring about. It's something God brings about. It's his gift. Biblical Christianity is unique in this regard, and I want to remind you of it. If you take any other world religion or philosophy, take Eastern religion, what they allegedly offer is, is a structure or a pathway for you to achieve union with God through meditation, through various practices, even through self-mutilation. That's their idea. Even some defective forms of Christianity teach that. Uh, mystical Christianity teaches that, that there is a path by which, with striving on the part of the saint, you may achieve union with God. I say that's false. Biblical Christianity teaches us that the true Christian life begins with union with God. Union with Christ is given as a free gift. And the Christian life is a living out of that union with Him. A few weeks back, I was here, I wasn't preaching somewhere else, and so I heard a good sermon from Galatians by Pastor Rob. And uh, one of the verses that was included in that, again, we're back to union again, Galatians 2 verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. That passage defines the very Christian life as this union with Christ by faith. I look back at my notes on the sermon, and as Pastor Rob put it, the living Christ, the loving Christ, and the trustworthy Christ. Even so. My friends, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should rejoice in our union with him, even as we should rejoice in a godly marriage. Union with Christ, just as the image of marriage brings to us, speaks of personal intimacy with our Lord and the security that comes from that relationship. I hope that this day you understand and enjoy what it means to have union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if the first point is the gift of union with Christ, which I think is what our Lord is articulating, I am the vine, uh, my father is the vine dresser, and you are the branches. The second point that's very important to this text, I think, is that is the life of communion with Christ. Now, if we think of union with Christ as kind of the wedding day, as sort of the, the ceremony, the, uh, the formal, uh, legal, and personal, and one flesh uniting of one man and one woman, then communion is describing the actual living out of the married life. That's what I'm talking about when I say the life of communion with Christ. And the key word that is used by the Lord Jesus Christ to describe this is the word abide. And I didn't count how many times it occurs in this verse, but it's a lot in this passage. But it's a lot. Jesus calls his people to abide in him. To remain in him is a synonym. To dwell in him is a synonym for abiding. To rest in him. And remember, it's abiding in a relationship that God has already created and brought you into. We don't have to try to be married again every day. But we should live out the implications of that marriage every day. And how especially wonderful it is when our Lord tells us to abide in my love. To abide in the love that God has for us. What a wonderful grace he describes. Um, again, just, just to say more about what I think our Lord has in mind by abiding here, and since Scripture interprets Scripture, I always love Psalm 37. And uh, there are a few verses in Psalm 37 that I think unfold for us and give us some more images of what abiding in Christ means. Um, verse 37, uh, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So there's that language of abiding, of agriculture. It's trusting in the Lord. It's doing good. 
It's dwelling in the land. It's dwelling in our inheritance. It's dwelling in the promises. It's dwelling in the covenant. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Abiding in Christ is about delighting ourselves in the Lord. I'll say more about that later in this sermon. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do it. That's what abiding is also. It is committing ourselves, committing our way to the Lord, to live in His commandments, as Jesus says in John 15, to trust in Him, and He will act. And then that wonderful verse 7, which also has very much to do with abiding in Christ. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. That's what our Savior is calling us to. Abide in Him. To wait upon Him. To be still before Him. To trust in His sovereignty and allow Him to unfold this. And this abiding in Christ is so basic. And I don't mean to demean it by calling it basic. But it so, ought to be so constant in our lives that I'd use the illustration of breathing to describe what abiding in Christ is. This is what I mean. We breathe in God's Word on a regular basis. Listen to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in love. Do you see how word-centered that abiding is. How the word structures and fuels that abiding in Christ. And we should regularly take opportunity throughout the week to breathe in the Word of God, to read it, to hear it. How many opportunities we have nowadays with podcasts and, and streaming sermons. To, you can always be listening to the Word of God almost. To meditate on the Word. And, of course, to practice it. All that, I want to say, is this breathing inside of abiding. And then there's breathing out. It's the exhale, and that's prayer. Because listen to what Jesus goes on to say in verse 7. What an amazing thing he says. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, as those who've had encounter with people who want to name and claim everything, I think we as Presbyterians kind of back off almost from that. And I know I've corrected people and said, no, that doesn't mean that you can just ask for a new vacation home and he'll give it to you. Nor does it mean that you can even have immediate healing from every disease immediately. That's not always how God works. And after I catch myself saying, so I've just told people what this verse doesn't mean. But it does mean something. Jesus does mean something when he says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done with you. It will be done for you. My friends, I don't think we pray boldly enough. I don't think we pray expectantly enough. I don't think we pray trustingly enough. The Lord Jesus Christ says, if you are abiding in me, seeking his glory, receiving his word, Ask whatever you wish, 
and it will be done for you. That doesn't mean there aren't mysteries here. That doesn't mean at times he won't say no. But my friends, we should have confidence as we go to him in prayer. Do you pray expectantly? And let me be clear. Let me say one other thing about this life of communion with Christ before I move on to my final point. And that is that this abiding in Christ is necessary, and it's not automatic, even for Christians. May I say that? Verse 7, it's necessary. I am the vine, the Lord says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Listen to this, for apart from me you can do nothing. How about that? That's a pretty categorical statement, is it? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we've been talking about it here, is absolutely necessary for our Christian life. And, it, and it's not automatic. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't say, for example, in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. He has to be talking about people in the church there. He's not talking at that point about people out there in the world. He's talking about people who ought to know better, who profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ, but they don't abide in Him. They don't practice this abiding that I've been talking about. He says they become like a dry and withered up branch that is thrown away have to do justice, even to the negative things that sometimes Scripture tells us. So, we've seen something of the gift of union with Christ, and then that the Christian life is communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, that regular, breathing, personal, intimate, loving relationship with Him. And then finally, my final point is to discuss the fruit of union and communion with Christ. Our Lord's intention, <coughs> excuse me, and his design is that we bear much fruit. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There's something glorious about fruit, isn't there? This time of year, you have apple trees that are laden with apples. There's something glorious about that. Flowers, it sort of changed the metaphor a little bit, but there's something glorious about a flowering plant. My wife does a great job with flowers and houseplants, and she will be embarrassed that I say this. She wouldn't brag about it, but she has a green thumb when it comes to flowers. She does a great job at beautifying things, and there's something glorious about that. A fruit tree with fullness of fruit. A plant that's flowering. It's just a wonderful thing. And our God, do you see this, is a master gardener. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And you see what Lord Jesus is talking about here is the new Israel. What was Israel of old? They were God's vine. They were God planted and carefully tended and put a hedge around. And Israel went bad. 
They were the vine that died. They were the the vine that didn't bear fruit. They were the vine that turned away from God to idols. Jesus comes along and says, now here's the new Israel. In the deepest sense, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the new Israel. He is the true Israelite, the true faithful one. And it is only by union and communion with him that we can be part of that new Israel and also bear fruit. What kind of fruit, what does our Lord Jesus mean by fruit here? He doesn't exactly say it in so many words. That's kind of the nature, I suppose, of a metaphor. Some have read this passage and said, well, he's talking about evangelistic fruit, that his disciples will lead others to Christ and increase the number of people in the kingdom. Well, I think that's true, but I don't think that's exactly what he's talking about here. I'm not sure that he's talking about evangelism here. Um, Some have said, well, he's obviously talking about Christian character. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's probably closer to the mark. I do think that's what he's talking about, growing in Christ-likeness. In our prayer this morning, we heard that we prayed that we would be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Yes, I think that's right. But I also think that he has something particular in mind. And notice how verses 7 and 8 are connected. I talked to you about prayer before. I'm going to say something else about prayer now. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By what? By this. What does he mean? By what? Well, obviously, I think, he's talking about answered prayer. In those answered prayers in which God is glorified, By this you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Yes, the fruit of character. Yes, we should be praying for sanctification and that God would be glorified in our lives. Answered prayer to the glory of God. Um, the, the, The breathing out, if you will, that I spoke of before. But I want to say one other thing, though. I think there's a special promise being made here to us as we pray and about this fruitfulness. And I believe what the Lord Jesus is promising here to those who abide in him is fullness of joy. Listen to verse 11. These things, and I I think here at this point he means probably everything he said in the Upper Room Discourse so far, John 13, John 14, John 15, certainly everything he said about the vine and the branches, he means these things. These things I have spoken to you, why? That my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What a wonderful statement this is. And notice how he moves from my joy to your joy. My joy your joy. My joy, your joy. Don't miss that connection. This is delightful. What is the Lord Jesus Christ's joy? Does he not tell us that it it is abiding in his Father's love and being one with the Father's purposes and commandments? 
That's what gives Jesus joy. That's his fullness of joy. And that's exactly what he's passing on to us in our abiding prayer with God that our joy, his joy, would be made full in us. If we go over to John 16, find the same theme in verse, 70, in verse 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. As an end in itself, but also to the glory of God. Because that's the only explanation possible for us to live with joy in this dark and broken and sinful and unhappy world. Is it not? It is as the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ is brought more fully into us. Children, nothing in this world will ever give you fullness of joy. Teenagers, nothing in this world will ever bring you fullness of joy. Young parents raising children in the home, nothing in this world will ever bring you fullness of joy. Grandparents, those of us whose earthly life mostly is behind us rather than ahead of us, nothing in this world will ever bring you fullness of joy. There is only one thing that will ever bring any of us fullness of joy. And that is union and communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Help us then, Lord, to be people of prayer, be people of the word, grateful for, for union with you and living our lives in communion with you. And may we there find our fullness of joy and encourage one another and prove to the world that we are truly your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So then our concluding hymn this morning is number 491, beautiful hymn, Jesus, the Very Thought of Thee.
now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>